Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from James 1, 19 and 20. And if you're looking for it, if you want to turn to the Bible, it's page 1196. 1196. That's James 1, 19 and 20. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give, I'm sorry, I'm reading wrong. <laughs> Look at the wrong still good. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. 1920, I'm reading 816. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Amen. No worries. Getting ready to, to rework my message. <laughs> Fine. It's a good passage. So we're going to start this morning uh, <clears throat> a little differently than we usually do. If you're new or visiting, this is not normal, so don't, uh, I'm sorry if, if this is your first time here, because we don't usually do this. You're like, what is he going to do? Uh, okay, we're going to do a little audience participation here. Raise your hand, okay? Raise your hand um, if... <laughs> If you have ever gotten angry, okay? Yeah, we've got a few liars out there. It's good to see, no, no. Right, no, okay, keep your hand up, keep your hand up, keep your hand up. Yeah, so keep your hand up here. Now, listen, keep your hand up, keep your hand up. If you've ever gotten so angry that you slammed a door, a car door, a door in your house, maybe just shut it a little bit more firmly than you normally would, Okay. Good, good, some honesty here. Okay, how about this one? Keep your hand up if you have ever taken a duffel bag, uh, thrown it as hard as you can on the ground in the parking lot out in front of your apartment complex and had an entire uh, can of shaving cream explode in the duffel bag and get over all your stuff. All right, me and Mike, all right, there's two of us. I'm not the only one. It's great to hear. It's good to hear. All right, today we are continuing in our series uh, a series which we began last week, <clears throat> a series during the season of Advent, which we are calling Wait. It's a series which we're calling Wait. And the whole idea of this series is to train us to wait, to be people who are good at waiting. That Advent is a season that can do that. Advent is a season that can train us to wait. Advent is a season <clears throat> that fights against the sort of secular liturgies that we all engage in, which encourage us to love and desire that which is immediate. Okay, what does that mean? Liturgy, you know, we talk about liturgies. My caller. Thank you. You know, this is... <laughs> maybe, this, so, so sorry. Well, I mean, look, you guys are only looking at one person. Imagine what I see when I look out there. 
just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. And <clears throat> uh, in, in our culture, there are uh, James K. A. Smith, uh, a philosopher at Calvin College, talks about what he calls secular liturgies. In other words, a liturgy. We use that word liturgy. Uh, it's a very kind of religious term. You hear the word liturgy, you think religion. But a, a liturgy is really anything, any sort of practice, any activity that you engage in that shapes you, shapes what you love, shapes what you desire, shapes how you think. And when we talk about religious liturgy, liturgies, the idea is that we are, we are engaging in activities, engaging in practices that are designed to help shape our heart, shape our affections, shape our desire, shape the way we think in ways that are in line with the gospel. That's what Christian liturgies are. But what he points out is that we are engaged in liturgies, secular liturgies all the time. And there are liturgies, we could talk about a lot of different things that these secular liturgies do, the ways that they shape us. But certainly one of the things that many secular liturgies do is they shape us to crave the immediate that we desire that which is immediate. So a, a good example of this would be something like Netflix. Watching Netflix is, and, and engaging, having the Netflix app and sort of living the life of a Netflix, a Netflix um, um, subscriber is a person who engages in a particular liturgy that, that shapes you to crave the immediate. What I mean by that is, we all remember, anybody here ever watch 24, remember Jack Bauer, 24? Okay, well, <clears throat> that was back before uh, Netflix and all that kind of stuff was online and whatnot. And so if you remember what would happen is you would watch an episode of 24 and at the end of the episode, <clears throat> you know, Jack Bauer would like cut the blue wire and you, you, don't, you don't know, is the bomb gonna blow up? You don't know because the credits roll and you have to wait until the next week. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if the blue wire, if, he, if that's going to blow the bomb up or it's going to stop the timer. And you had to wait until the next week. Now Netflix comes along, right? You just download the whole season. You don't have to wait. You can just go right into the next episode. You know, when we think, often as Christians, we think, you know, very strong about the content. What are the things that you're watching on Netflix, and of course that's important, but I almost wonder if the, the pattern itself, the habit itself, <clears throat> shapes us in deeper ways than we realize. It shapes us to crave the immediate, right? We live in this age where you can get things quickly, immediately, you can download it, you can express mail it, pretty soon they'll have drones that are flying over, and you'll be able to get things immediately when you order from Amazon, right? So we are constantly being shaped by these liturgies, these practices that we engage in that shape us to crave immediacy. <clears throat> and Advent pushes against that. Advent says, take that, Netflix, and your need for immediacy brainwashing. Advent is a season that can train us to wait. <clears throat> because the problem is, see, here's the problem. <clears throat> we get so used to Netflix, we get so used to having everything immediately that we start to say at a subconscious level, why can't God be more like Netflix? Why can't the kingdom of God be more like the kingdom of Netflix where you can get everything immediately? So Advent trains, trains us to fight back against that. The whole season of Advent does. We talked about this last week. 
that just the, the practice of purchasing Christmas presents and wrapping them and then putting them under the tree and then waiting to open them, that is so countercultural. That's so anti-Netflix. You, you, you buy it, you put it down, you wait to, you open it. That's a wonderful tradition. We, of course, talk about the, the, the consumerism that is, is related to that as well, and that's a problem, but, but that basic idea of waiting to open the presents is a wonderful way of helping to train us to learn to wait. I, I mean, think of it this way. Imagine if Netflix was in charge of Advent, right? Think, think of it this way. So here's, here's another thing we do during Advent. So we get these five candles, and at the beginning of the season of Advent, we put them all up on the table. And each week, we light a different candle. We, we, we light one candle, then the next week, we light the second, then the third, then the fourth, and the fifth. Right? If Netflix was in charge of Advent, we'd light all five of them on the first Sunday. If Netflix was in charge of, of Christmas shopping, you'd buy all of your presents on Black Friday, and then you'd open them the next Saturday. And so <clears throat> Advent, the whole season, helps to push against this need for immediacy, and it teaches us to wait. And so that's what we're looking at <clears throat> these four weeks. We're looking at different aspects of how Advent can train us to wait, what it looks like to be a person who is learning to wait. And today, I would suggest that we might be looking at the most difficult aspect of waiting, of what it means to be shaped in the way of the kingdom of God in, that allows us to wait. There's one particular aspect of waiting. This might be the most difficult. And here's what it is. What James tells us to do, what does he say? He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. <clears throat> James is explaining to us that what it means to live in light of the kingdom of God is to learn to wait to be angry, to wait on your anger, to hold that back. And I suggest that might be perhaps one of the hardest commands in all of Scripture. I mean, sure, Jesus tells the rich man, sell all of your possessions and give to the poor. I almost wonder if that would be easier. Of course, if you sold all your possessions, you'd probably get angry, right? <laughs> so maybe they kind of go hand in hand. But I think that this one right here might be the most difficult one of the most difficult commands in all of Scripture, right? There's very few things that are more difficult than waiting on your anger. Waiting on your anger is more difficult than waiting to eat pancakes at the Ridge Diner. Have you ever tried to do that before? The Ridge, you, ever, you guys been to the Ridge? Have you ever had the pancakes at the Ridge Diner? Yeah, yeah, my cats, okay. <clears throat> yep, that was probably the same. Is that when you broke your shaving cream too after eating at the Ridge? Mike and I are on the same wavelength there. The Ridge Diner, you go there, and they serve you pancakes, and I'm telling you, you cannot wait to eat them. Everything in your body just fights against waiting, so you, you don't. That's the point. You don't wait, right? Uh, I'd say waiting to get angry is even harder. There might not be anything more difficult than waiting to get angry. So how does Advent, how does Advent help to teach us, to train us, to shape us in ways that can help us to not get angry? And I think here's the first point. What Advent helps us to see when we understand Advent correctly is that we should not be surprised when things aren't the way they should be. You see, we get angry, don't we? we get angry. One of the reasons why we get angry is because things aren't the way they should be. People aren't 
treating us the way that they should treat us. Our circumstances aren't the way that they should be. And so we, we get angry. And I think some of us, we're like surprised. We're surprised that things aren't the way that they should be. Uh, particularly, I would say, when we're younger, we're shocked when things don't go right for us. Right? We're, we're shocked. We're shocked. I mean, I do um, pre-marriage, premarital mentoring for couples that are looking to get married. And it's, it's remarkable. I mean, I think most couples, when they get married, um, they're, they're thinking to themselves, they know, they've seen, the, they've seen how their, you know, their brother and his wife, how their, their challenges that they face, and they've seen the struggles that their parents have, and they always think, but it's not going to be us. At a subconscious, well, that's not going to be us. See, we're going to do it differently. And, and so one of the things that I've discovered about premarital mentoring, and, and most of the curriculums that you find, most of the good curriculums, uh, I hate to say this to you if you're about to get married. This is going to be really disappointing to you. Most of the good curriculums for premarital mentoring, one of the things that they do is they seek to shatter your dreams. They do. That's one of the goals is literally to shatter your dreams and get you into a place of reality. Because the reality is there are going to be many things about your marriage and your future that are not going to be the way that they should be. But we're shocked by, we're shocked by this, right? <clears throat> You're shocked. You're shocked when you, you get married and, and you think everything's going to be great and then you can't figure out why your wife has locked herself in the bedroom and won't talk to you. You're shocked by that. You're totally surprised by that. You're shocked that your vision for vacation, what you want to do for vacation is totally different than what she wants to do. You're shocked by that. You're totally surprised. How can this be? We love each other. Why do we see things so differently? You're, you're totally shocked, aren't you, that your husband is not best friends with your father? How, did, how can they not be best friends? Guys, you're shocked that your wife does not want to doesn't like to get together and knit and drink tea with your mother. We're shocked by it. We're surprised by this. Not just with marriage, not just with our spouse. Isn't it true that we, we're shocked when we find out that our kids are bozos sometimes? <laughs> I mean, we're just shocked. Well, not my kids, right? I mean, you have these visions. You have these dreams of what it's going to be like with your kids. You have these dreams of of playing baseball with little champ, right? I mean, you just got these dreams going out, teaching him how to throw the ball and playing catch and, and helping him to work on his swing. And, and you have these dreams of going with him to talk to the different college recruiters, helping him to get in. I mean, you, those, you have dreams about your daughter becoming Clara in the Nutcracker. But you have all these dreams, and then you're shocked when you can't get him to get out of bed. They don't even want to get out of bed. You're shocked when it takes 15 minutes to put their shoes on in the morning. You're shocked when you go to brush their hair and it sounds like you're strangling a hyena. And what Advent teaches us is, hey, man, you shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't be surprised with so many things. You shouldn't be surprised when things don't go well at work. You shouldn't be surprised when there are challenges with your health. You shouldn't be surprised when things aren't the way that they should be. Because one of the messages that Advent teaches us is that the kingdom of God is not fully here. Advent is, is really a remarkable season because it really does two things. It shows us both the already nature of the kingdom of God and the not yet. So, of course, we could do an entire series 
around Advent that talks about how the kingdom of God is already here, that this is what, in the person of Jesus, the kingdom of God has come. That, that is a central message of the coming of Jesus, that God himself incarnate here to dwell as we sing this morning. In the person of Jesus, God has come. The kingdom of God has broken into this world. And then, of course, as you look at the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, you see all of these signs that the kingdom of God is available. He's reaching out to people, healing people, caring for the poor, caring for those who are downtrodden, all of these things that suggest that the kingdom of God has broken in. And yet, and yet, even when we look at the Christmas story, we see the already, but, but we should, there are signs even in the Christmas story, right? Why, why is it? Why is it if things are the way they should be why is the king of kings sleeping on hay? Right, I mean, when we, when, we, when we celebrate Christmas, I'm imagining in your home today, you might have a little nativity scene. Nice little scene with baby Jesus, Mary and Joseph, and the, the angels and the shepherds. And they're all, they're all sitting around singing over Jesus. Of course, that actually never appears in the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible where it, it's, you see the angels sitting over Jesus. There's nothing like that, right? So we've already kind of dramatized it. But, but even so, yeah, there's this, this scene of Jesus being born, the King of Kings coming in, Matthew chapter 2. But when you look at the second part of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, here's a part we don't focus on too much. And, and that's the part where King Herod orders that all of the children under the age of two in Bethlehem be killed. Right, how many of you have you know, little, little figurines representing that up on your mantle at Christmas? No, the Christmas story shows us the kingdom of God is already here, but it also shows us that it's not yet here. And Advent then, when we celebrate the coming of Christ into the world, it also points us to and calls us to point to this time when he will return, when he will come back and he will make things right. But that isn't now. That isn't now. So we shouldn't be surprised. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And there it's pointing to it saying, yeah, don't be surprised but you will be overjoyed when Christ comes and he will make things right. He will make things new, but that's not now. That's not full, complete now. So said, don't be surprised. So what's the application here? As Advent trains us to see that, to realize things are not the way they should be, one day they will be, but now they are. Here's how this applies here. Don't be surprised when your husband's a bozo. Don't be surprised when, when your boss doesn't treat you the way that you should be treated. Don't be surprised by these things. And so much of our anger comes up. We're just shocked. How could they? Can you believe that they did this? Advent teaches us not be, to not be surprised because the kingdom of God is not here in its fullness. That's the first way in which Advent helps to teach us to hold and wait on our anger. The second thing I think we can learn in this season of Advent a reason why you should wait on your anger, listen to this, is because until heaven, until Christ returns and makes all things new, listen to this, 
you can't be sure that you are right about much of anything. Until Christ returns, you can't be sure you are right about much of anything. Listen to this in, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Okay, so he's like, I, look, I don't really care what you think of me. I don't really even care that much what a court pronounces. He says, I, I care very little uh, if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, listen to this. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. He says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring light to what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. Think about that. Think about what he's, he's, he's saying there. He's saying, look, I, you know, I, I operate with my conscience. I try to do what is right. That's important. You try to do what is right, but what he's saying is even though I think I'm doing what's right, I could be totally wrong. I don't even judge myself, let alone others, because I don't know. He's saying when Christ returns, and he uses this imagery of, of shedding light, when he comes and he sheds light on things as they really are, I might be wrong about a lot of things. So wait. Wait to get angry. You, 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 you might be wrong. James says, this is, this is why James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Be quick to listen. Why should you be quick to listen? Because you need to listen because you might not have it right. There might be something that you, you need to hear from them. You know, I, we need to realize that when he says quick to listen, that doesn't just mean you sit there and don't talk and wait your turn to talk, right? Some of us are, are good at that. Like that's, and that's a little bit better than interrupting. I'll, I'll grant you that. That's better than just walking over them. And, but, but isn't it true? Some of us, well, okay, I'll, I'll just sit here and listen. I'll listen. But we're not listening. We're waiting for our turn. We're waiting for them to calm down and then we'll speak. We're not really listening. Why are we not listening? Because we already think we're right. If you meet an angry person, you meet a person who has their mind made up. Did you know you, you, it's difficult to be angry when you're still trying to make your mind up? I made that point a couple weeks ago. When you're still not sure, you're not going to be angry. An angry person has their mind made up, which is why it's difficult to talk to an angry person, right? Because their mind is already made up. What, what James is saying, understanding the nature of the kingdom of God, he's saying, be quick to listen because you've always got to realize that you might be wrong. Advent trains us, you see, to be humble. Advent trains us to be humble, realizing we don't, we don't know yet. We don't really know how things are. And so in humility, I need to acknowledge the fact that I might be wrong. That in fact, you see, when we get angry, it's like we are pretending that today is judgment day and all the light has been shown and I know that I'm right. That's when you, when you get angry like that, often what you're doing is you're saying, yep, okay, this is judgment day. I see the light. I know what's right. Paul's saying, wait. James is saying, wait. You don't know that.
So here's a way of putting it. When you think about your marriage, you think about the challenges that you're facing in your marriage, you think about the difficulties that you're facing at work, you see all of these problems that you're having to deal with. What I think what Advent trains us to do is to realize, hey, you know, the problem might be you. It might be you. I mean, you're, convi- you're convinced that your boss is out to get you. You're convinced that your coworkers, they have it in for you. You're convinced that, that they're not giving you the respect that you deserve. But you know what? The problem might be you. You see, this is what Evan teaches us, this sense of humility to wait, to listen. And, and when you do that, well, you, you won't get angry. You can't be angry when you're not sure. And in this season, in this season of, of, of the nature of the kingdom of God not fully being here where things are in the dark, we have to take every judgment that we make with a little bit of a qualification. I'm not totally sure about this. We need to wait on our anger because we can't be sure that we're right about much of anything. I mean, have you ever experienced that sort of situation where you, boy, you thought you were right for a long time, and then 10, 15 years later, you're like, I was completely off. I I remember hearing the story of a man who'd been married for 40 years, and he was always telling his wife, "You, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, come on, you need to do this. They went to counseling for years, and then like, something like 40 years into their marriage, they went and it clicked for him that he had been seeing things completely wrong. And the problem was him. See, Advent trains us to wait because we can't be sure we're right about much of anything until Christ returns. And this, this allows us to wait and not become angry. So how does Advent train us to wait on our anger, first of all, to not be surprised. Don't be surprised when you find yourself facing challenges. Secondly, come to realize that the, the challenges, you actually might be the reason for the challenges. It might not be their fault. Thirdly, we should wait on our anger because God has waited on us. God has held back his anger towards us. All right, this is the number one reason. This is What's so central to the Christian faith is we wait to get angry because God has waited on us. He has held back his anger. And so you might be right, okay, right? So you might be right about some things, but even if you are right, remember God is right. He knows. He knows. I, I, I want you to sort of, sort of imagine this. The Bible teaches it. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right, what that means is that everybody, everybody deserves God's anger. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I think if anybody is honest and really reflects upon that honestly, they'll realize that it's true. Some of you probably remember the scandal with the, the website Ashley Madison or something like that. I don't know what it was called. And they, it was this website. It's this website. I don't know if it's still going. But it's a website that helps people to set up affairs. If you want to have an affair, you can go to this website. I think the the slogan for a while was, uh, life is short, have an affair. Okay? And so people would go to this website to find a secret way to have an affair. And somebody hacked their system, their mainframe or whatever, and the people who were members of this, their names became public. 
and uh, politicians, uh, you know, upstanding members of the community, pastors. I mean, there are all kinds of people who showed up on this list, and it was exposed. The light was shown upon their sin, and it was exposed. And you see, that, that is a little bit of a foretasting of what Judgment Day is. It's this, right? So let's put it this way. I want you to imagine here for a moment that all of your thoughts were exposed. I want you to imagine that for a moment, that the light came and the things that you think were shown for everybody to see. The things that you think were shown for your husband to see, for your wife to see. I wonder how many marriages in this room would be in real trouble if our thoughts were transparent and your spouse could see the things that you think. How many of us would be fired tomorrow if our boss knew the things that we think? You see, this is, this is the point. When, when the light is shown, God, and God knows all of these things. God knows all of this. And yet he holds back. He holds back his anger. The heart of the Christian faith is not only has he held back, but he has taken it upon himself. He said, let, he said you, you deserve this. You deserve to be condemned, but I died for you because I love you, and I want to take it upon myself so that you don't have to. And at the heart of the Christian faith is that since God has done that for us, how can we not do that for others? On the cross, you see, we are able to give God our own sin, and we're also able to give God the effects of the sins of others. You see, the cross is a place where you come before God, both with what you've done, but, but done wrong, but you also come before God with the things that others have done to you, and there is a God who wants to carry that burden for you. He wants to sit in it with you. He wants to hold back the anger and take it upon himself. Or what, what, what is anger? Anger, anger, is, anger is when you get back at them for what they have done. And what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is just taking that upon yourself. Forgiveness is when you say, well, you owe me $50, but instead of me trying to get that $50 out of you, I will just absorb the weight of that. The heart of the gospel is that this is what God has done for us. So just in summarizing all of this up, I'm just going to ask you this question right now. What are you angry about? What are you angry about? Are you angry about something that's going on in your workplace? Are you angry about some challenges that you're having with your kids or with your your family, with your spouse? Are you angry about challenges that maybe others that you know are facing health challenges that maybe they're facing, that you're facing? And you're, you're angry. Let me remind you, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Things are not the way that they should be. There will be a day when God will make things new, but that isn't today. Secondly, what are you angry about? Is it possible that you're the problem? Is it possible that, that what you see as being 
injustice? Is God's going to show that and say, well, no, it's, that's not really how it was? Is it possible that you're not right? And, and, and lastly and most importantly, even if you are right, even if you do have the right to be angry, remember, God sees you at a depth that nobody else does. God sees even your thoughts, and he loves you, and he forgives you, and he welcomes you not not with anger, but with love and with grace. As we rest in that, our anger subsides. You pray with me?